Hello, welcome back to the Masonic Roundtable, a weekly program where Masons from around the world get together to talk about Masonic news and opinions in a friendly and social manner. As a reminder, the thoughts and opinions expressed here are solely the opinions of the participants and do not represent any Grand Lodge statements or positions. Make sure you keep your conversations open for the public and on the level to interact with us. As always, you can join us live on Thursday nights, so we love seeing you over in Facebook land or in YouTube land. Uh, the chats are always lit, and remember, your chats could show up on the show, so that would be, be cool for you as well as for us. Um, and if you can't catch us live, always catch us later on your favorite podcasting app. You know me. My name is John Ruark, uh, past master of the Patriot Lodge number 1957 in Fairfax, Virginia. Next up for his introduction, Jason Richards. How's it going, Jason? It's going good. How are you, Woo. John? I'm fantastic. Awesome. Uh, Jason Richards here, past master of Vacation Lodge number 16 in Clifton, Virginia, member of the Colonial Lodge number 1821, and Lafayette Lodge number 79 as well. Glad to be here. Awesome. Next up for his introduction, Joe Martinez. Hey, Joe. What you drinking? I'm sorry. I'm drinking carbonated H2O. Oh. Water. Yes. Hello. Joe Martinez. Still, worshipful master. (laughs) Manassas Lodge number 182. And member of a bunch of things and lots of things. Damn glad to be here. It's not a competition. It's not. Last but not least, Robert Johnson. How's it going, Robert? It's going pretty great. Uh, Glad to see all of you guys this week. Exciting topic. So happy to be here. Robert Johnson, past master, Walk Egan, current sitting secretary at Space Novum, 1183. Thanks. Woo. Awesome. Well, before we get into tonight's show, as always, we want to give a special shout out to the patrons who support the show. You guys rock. Jason's jumping the gun. He's very excited. Uh, let's let's uh, thank the patrons uh, who keep the show going. You guys thank rock. You, you guys are awesome. Thank you. And uh, if you want to join, join patreon.com slash the Masonic Roundtable and chip in a few bucks and uh, join our super secret not Masonic secret, but otherwise super secret Facebook group. See you there. Hey, Jason. Hey. What were you in our, What were you excited to show us there a second ago? I was excited to um, preload the uh, tarot card of the week Aha. into the streaming platform, and it shared it automatically, which <laughs> I'm very disappointed in you. Yeah, yeah. Um, the streaming platform. Yes. So tarot card of the week comes from a really really interesting deck uh rapidly becoming one of my favorites this is the sola busca tarot deck um this is for history nerds this is the oldest extant complete tarot deck in the world um uh hails from italy in uh 1491 was when it was first published and so today we're taking a look at the ace of cups which we'll go ahead and add to uh add to the stream here you gotta love it you know what we need to do at a next uh tmr con or something we should have we should have a uh we should play tarochi We'll figure it out. We'll have a Tarochi tournament. Nice. There we go. Ooh. We could play a game. We'll play the original game. 
Nice. Ooh. I like it. The yeah, so this is so this this predates Rider Weight. This predates the uh, CBD Marseille tarot. Um, this one is really really interesting because there's a huge emphasis on um, alchemical symbolism in here. And if you look through the um, the especially the minor arcana because a lot of the um a lot of the earliest tarot decks really stuck with the major arcana um and, and just had pips for for the minor arcana um this is really the the most complete earliest deck that we have where the the minor arcana are all illustrated and you can you can actually see um where uh you know, A.E. Weight took a lot of direct inspiration mm -hmm. from this deck. In um, why is that dude got no pants on? I well, you know, when you carry tight. swords, you're tight. Bro. You don't need yeah. pants. Yeah, you're not tight. Those well, are tight. I mean, this this guy's got underwear is just falling off. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna focus. There we oh, go. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So now the, there goes our safety rating. Yeah. So yeah, we're gonna get dinged on that one. <laughs> That's all right. Um, next time, maybe next week we'll do. Uh, we'll use the uh, Decameron Tarot. Just totally put our up our favorite the uh, the Three of Swords. Right. Oh. That is that is very close to oh, what pretty. you see in the the Rider Waite deck. And it's so slick too. What's nice about that uh, original deck is, like you were saying, it's one of the only decks that has the full illustration on minor arcana cards. Because even like in the Marseille deck, um, it's kind of like unless you work with it all the time, it's really difficult to even like you're sitting there counting pieces. <laughs> like, what card is this? It's uh, it's not super relevant. I mean, you know, yeah. But it's cool. let's let's bring it back. So what's it you mean? Did draw you did draw a couple on purpose for this this week's episode right but mm -hmm. ace of cups ace of cups so um traditionally ace of cups it's new love new emotions new overflowing emotions yep. cups are emotional and love also and creativity um, baby creativity well but it's a different creativity than wands because wand is we're talking about sex create well okay yeah, <laughs> yeah. cool okay I don't want to it's, talk it's about sex arrows versus. I don't want to. Yes. Feel like making it's love. It's not store gay. <laughs> oh boy! Oh, this is going to be some episode. I tell you what. It's educational. So the, lo just, the love. Card. It's not educational in Oklahoma or Florida. <laughs> but mm. The rest of the world might be. I, we're not flying. <clears throat> All right. Well, that's a good summary of the element of water, which is what we're here to talk about tonight. So thank you for pulling that, Jason, and showing off even new toys that you have. So thank you for sharing. And this week is going to dive deep into the symbolism, history, and archetypes that are found in the classical element of water. So starting with the resident historian of all things esoteric and nerdy, Joe, why don't you kick us off and tell us a little bit about the history of the classical? Jason had the look on his face like you were about to call him. And oh no, he's said, he's been demoted. Don't worry, he's he's yeah. a, he's a tarot card lover now. Don't no, 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 totally down with that. Yeah, no, but he had a look of fear on his face. He's like, crap. 
I didn't prepare. I got you, man. I got you. <laughs> I'm, I'm I was just dream? noticing that in the Solo Busca deck, because I have several of the, the cards up on my monitor, everybody's pants are falling off. And I don't know <laughs> Maybe why. It, well, when was the belt invented? Do we know? Like, <laughs> it was after the... the <laughs> after Columbus oh, that's sailed funny. the ocean blue? Well, yeah. There, there's your homework assignment. Boom. There you go. Boom. All right. Let's talk about water. Let's talk about water. This episode not sponsored by SodaStream, although we did say it would have probably been a good idea to give them a call because this SodaStream bottle has H2O or water. And, and refreshing. CO2. That too. That's what's making me burp so much. So my apologies. But let's talk about water. Water is the second of the four elements. And we did have a question in the I saw in the chat. Um, they were asking if this was going to culminate. I believe it was uh, our dear friend Sun Card. He asked, "So are we going to do a show on the fifth element?" I don't think we've decided yet, right? Maybe I don't know. TBD, depending Maybe. on uh, listener demand. All right, and All right. Uh, whether or not we can get Bruce Willis, mm, Mila Jovovich. Oh, yes, we'll get them both. Nice on cam. All right, let's talk about the symbolic history of water use in religion and ancient cultures, ancient civilizations, mystery schools, all that good stuff. So let's dip our toes. Ha <laughs> ha. See what I did there. I'm just plenty today. So water, water shows up as an essential part in every major civilization that we know of, uh, that has committed things to writing or to drawings or any sort of cartography that you can think of water plays a part. So let's go all the way back to the cradle of civilization. Let's go to Mesopotamia. So you've got peoples like the Sumerians, the Akkadians, the Assyrians, the original Babylonians, not the Neo-Babylonians. They were, they did other stuff. But so those ancient Mesopotamian peoples all had water symbolism for a very obvious reason. Because Mesopotamia sat between the two rivers that were the, the veins of the lifeblood in that part of the world. You had the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers. And right in between them both, was Mesopotamia, right? Where civilization sprang forth. Another water pun. I am just on fire today with the puns. Dad jokes. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, so all of these civilizations viewed water as an absolutely essential part of, of life. It was also a symbol of fertility. And we'll probably talk about that in, in other civilizations as well, where water and fertility do have a sort of sharing of symbols because water makes green things grow and you need water to do that. So uh, a lot of your ancient civilizations, so some of the oldest water deities in those ancient civilizations was the God Enki, who I think Jason talks about in his uh, Noakai talk, right? Um, I do. Yeah. I was going to say boom. there's like some diluvian references as well. Diluvian. Yes. That means water. Just lots water. of water that Watery. makes you die. It's, yeah. it's diluvian, but in Virginia, we say diluvian. I don't like that. That's wrong. <laughs> okay, but that's wrong. That's a Virginia masonry inside. Uh, so yeah, Enki, who Jason talks about, if you haven't seen his talk, it's actually on Refracted Light still. Go check it out. Um, they haven't taken you, it down yet. What? Yeah, I know. It's still up there for people to learn and absorb and just make a part of their being. Through uh, their brain holes. Indeed. Enki, god of water, god of knowledge, god of creation, lots of water symbolism there. So now let's go to the next most popular place that people love to go to. Leaving Mesopotamia, we go to Egypt. Egypt, another civilization whose 
essential being revolved around water, the Nile River. It was absolutely important to the creation of the Egyptian culture, uh, the rise of the Egyptian kingdoms, all the different dynasties revolved around whether the Nile gave us lots of water or not. And in times of plenty, Egypt thrived. In times of drought, Egypt did not thrive. So the annual flooding of the Nile to the ancient Egyptians was an actual divine event. You know, it was done by the gods so that they could have fertile crops and do wonderful Egyptian things. So again, you're seeing where water is being used by an ancient culture to show that fertility and water are inextricably linked. So they also had gods associated mm. with water and fertility, and they were, they were always intertwined. So now let's go to the next group of people who took a lot of things from the Egyptians. We have the Greeks. So in Greek mythology, water shows up in many, many different places. Um, you have, you know, before the time of the Olympian gods, you had the Titans. And Oceanus was one of those pre-Olympian deities uh, who personified the sea, uh, whose children were the rivers and, and the oceans and things like that. And um, this is where you start to get into the concept of those classical elements uh, water being one of the most important ones, and it became a fundamental component of their mythology. So now we won't even talk about the Romans because the Romans literally copy and pasted everything from the Greeks. So it's basically saying the same thing twice. So we're not going to do that. So we can actually leave Western Europe and, and you know, the, the cradle of civilization and move into China. And we talked about China last week, and we talked about China the week before where... Right. The Chinese had China. China, the land of China had five elements and a little bit different than your, your Western cultures, I guess you could say, but water was an absolutely important element. It just it described a wide range of phenomena, um, less divine aspects to it than, you know, uh, than you did with the personifications that you had in Greece and Egypt and things like that. But in Taoism, and I'm sure John's going to touch on this, you know, water is considered a symbol in, in Taoist philosophy. So super important. Now, right next to China, another big group of people who, again, started near a river. So we're starting to see a theme here where civilization started to pop up where there was lots of fresh water. And fresh water was super important to these people. Otherwise, they would not grow crops and they would not drink anything. So you have the uh, ancient Indian cultures that lived around the ancient Ganges River. Um, again, a sacred river. And it had a god associated with it too. It had uh, Ganja or Ganja. Um, and the water from the Ganges, at least in ancient times, I can't speak to the current situation of the water in the Ganges, uh, was used in rituals and ceremonies and for purification rites. So water was also used in medicine and spoken about there. But again, India was one of those other cultures that had five elements and not four. So, and then finally, I think we ended last week with your North and South American, your ancient indigenous cultures. Um, they also had gods that personified water. You had Chak, who was the god of rain, to the Mayans. Uh, in Aztec mythology, you had uh, Tialuk, I think it is, who is a water deity. And again, these deities personified the aspects of water that were so important to these people. Again, fertility, life, things like that. And the Mayans, again, Aztecs, the Hopi, uh, North American Indian cultures, indigenous Indian cultures, they all had... Uh, similar things uh, when it came to water. 
So I think that's it. I'm going to take a breath and uh, pass the mic. Yeah, again, one thing I'll just go reemphasize this time is I love seeing some of the similarities that happen between these different cultures and different traditions. Um, that's what I look for when I'm pulling from different sources is to very syncretic, isn't it? It is. It's a syncretic. That's your SAT word of the day. No, Jason had the SAT word with the proper use of the word extant because he's one of the few people I know that use it right. Extant, diluvian. Diluvian. Yeah. Diluvian. Diluvian. Is that is that a Billy from Texas cup? What do we got here? Yeah, it is. I have one too. It's, it's, it is now. Uh, Big shout out to Billy. You're on mute. Smarty pants. We talked about this. When you buy something cool for somebody, your, your friend, you have to buy one for yourself. So there you go. There's a classical elements right on the side of that. That's right. Yeah. Where we, yeah, we're right over there. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, so thank you for covering that history, Joe. That was pretty good. Uh, cause I, you know, you, you dive deeper in some of that stuff than I do. Um, Jason, why don't you talk a little bit about, uh, the alchemical angle that water plays into. Absolutely, John. Um, <clears throat> so I, I took a look at this through an alchemical lens. And so alchemical process classically has seven stages. Um, the um, interesting piece about those seven stages is uh, that water plays a huge role in five out of the seven. Um, so you you start with kind of the, the calcination stage, which is where you burn everything. You burn the original materials down to ash. Um, stage one. Stage two is dissolution, where you take the ashes and you dissolve those ashes in water. And so... Um, what you you end up getting there is the first phase of a solution where you can then separate out the impurities from from that base material. So that third stage is separation, um, where you are able to then, through this this solution that you've created with the addition of the base materials and the water, you can then begin to filter it and extract the impurities from from that base material. Um, <clears throat> you know, the the next stage is the conjunction stage, where you now have this this purified material, and here you are able to then integrate this material with other new materials. And so thinking about the alchemical process is like the initiatic process. Like when you go through initiation, you know, you have to be separated away from your old life before you can be combined with, with the new. And that's really what the, the conjunction phase of the alchemical process is, uh, is about. And, and water still here is a key component of this because, you know, it's easier to combine something when it is in a solution. So you get, uh, you know, a homogenous, even combination of the purified and, and the new. Um, 
the next phase is fermentation, um, where um, you break down the substance almost again through the use of bacteria and other living organisms um, before finally with this new solution, you then go through a distillation phase. And that distillation phase then boils off the solution and removes the water element out of the solution. And you are left with this new elemental solution thing. I like so, it. Which, which then left to dry coagulates into a new solid state. Yeah. Right. Just like Joe's boogers. They just I don't like, I don't like that coagulate. Coagulate. Um, I, I want to jump right off of that. It just sounded like you were describing bong resin. Well, <laughs> you know, it's fascinating. You went there because we talked a little bit about the, uh, the four humors as well in a previous uh, episode. And when you look at what humor is related to the classical element of water, it is phlegm. So, so there you go. Yay. There, there's, there's your tie that was planned totally before the show. Yes. <laughs> so let me, let me read this. Cause it has a little bit to do with the alchemical process. So um, when I first got the Masonic tarot, what was interesting was, uh, I'm not sure, maybe this is a, a sort of European rite, perhaps, or something, um, but I've only seen some of these elements represented uh, in really old, like, degree work texts. And to some extent, I'm sure the author here has embellished on the usage. However, it is interesting. Uh, so he's talking about uh, the four elements um, as, they're, as they're related to in the tarot. Uh, their their place in the, a Masonic ritual. And so this is not any official ritual, so I'm not breaking any obligations. It's just printed for the public. But it says, uh, for the apprentice, in the first stage of the ceremony, the blindfolded candidate is placed in a dark room, dimly lit by a candle. Confinement in a chamber puts the person in touch with the earth element, right? And then it goes on to say, the first of the mysterious journeys starts when the worshipful master who presides over the ceremony loudly orders, take the candidate to his first mysterious journey to be purified by water. Then two officers lead the candidate inside the temple and stop in front of a bowl of water. They assist the person to dip his hands to symbolize the effect of ritual, uh, ritual purification rather, by water. Then he is returned to the starting point. And then he starts his second material, um, his second material, mysterious journey, I guess, you know, which, which will be he'll be purified by air. So he's purified by the four elements before proceeding in this particular uh, text. I've never really seen that in any, you know, Masonic yep. thing, but it is interesting uh, that, that it takes us to that purification element. That's so really I'm cool. I'm getting some vibes there. Um, I think that's uh, that's brother. He's a brother. His name is Pablo, right? Is it? Pablo, it's on there. I believe he's from Chile. Um, so yeah, curious if your South American brothers out there, let us know how alchemical or dare I say Rosicrucian your ritual is, because that is uh, getting a lot I of. I mean, you almost do that. 
subconsciously, you know, with circumambulation, right? Because yeah. that is a ritual cleansing of the space that doesn't necessarily involve water. Or at least also, over I mean, to anybody out there who's listening, all I can say is it kind of feels also like this other thing that some people go through in a particular sort of co-ed order. But, yeah. Now, uh, Tim Hogan has actually done a little bit of a breakdown of some of the alchemical process as it relates to the obligations of the different degrees. So you can go go out and research that. But let's just say being the first one in, in the uh, after the earth element, right? That you might want to see yeah, he, something in the first degree about, about water. He's written some pretty decent stuff. Um, yeah. The alchemical keys, the alchemical keys. Yeah. Was the name of that book. It's all white, right? Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's it's a pretty here somewhere. Yeah. It's a pretty decent book. If you guys, if, if anybody out there, I mean, um, I directly use that book in my Noah Kai presentation oh, because I, I walk through the alchemical right. steps um, and the four elements as they relate to the hero's journey within the story of Noah. So, okay. So pull this, the, 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 the uh, sort of cleansing ritual mm. portion of this. When you talked about the, the Noah Kai presentation that you do, I mean, this is uh, it's a giant cleansing a renewal, a, reju a rejuvenation, uh, sort of. A lustration. Yeah. So ultimately, yeah, with with the Noachide ritual, the alchemical process is a little bit out of order because, um, or is it? Because calcination, fire, is the first stage of the alchemical process of course the calcination stage uh is represented where noah and his family are saved and offer a burnt offering to god after they exit the ark at the end of the story um however you know where are you first prepared to be made a mason well you know, Noah, Noah was a true follower of God from the beginning. And so you could say that Noah's um, calcination started well before the rains came. And so moving into really the dis dissolution stage is where the flood comes in and literally separates the ark and God's chosen people from everybody else. Um, and then through separation, yeah, through separation, that purification, process. yes, that purification then happens. Wow. And, um, you know, we could, we can, we can assume that, uh, you know, I don't know. I was gonna, gonna make a joke about like, uh, conjunction and like, you know, them opening up the the ark and getting hit in the face with a branch or something, um, but uh, I, I was gonna I was gonna chime into that not, not with a funny thing, but um, you you said something super interesting that I wanted to pull the thread on. 
So when you're talking about the the, the Noahide legend, legend, wow, English, um, a lot of a lot of our ancient religions, to John's point, use purification through water, right? Most of them yes. was lustration, like you said, partial or full immersion in water. Um, sometimes nowadays you get a little sprinkle sprinkle on your forehead, boom, you've been baptized or, or lustrated. It's um, symbolic. Sure. Um, now some of them take it a step further where you do have, and this is where it ties back to Noah a little bit. You got to remember that flood was a cleansing flood, but it killed a crap ton of things, right? It killed all the people, all the kids, all the unicorns, dinosaurs, all, all gone, right? All the fish that, suddenly couldn't breathe water i suppose anyway but um i'm just repeating what jason says but there were a couple of those ancient religions specifically in egypt and um you know in a couple of the mysteries in greece where that lustration or that immersion was meant to symbolize you drowning it wasn't just hey i'm being washed and now i'm clean and i can be awesome and all you that die. You, you actually died yeah. and you were reborn when you came out of that water. So there's a little yeah. bit of a different symbolism in that. But well, you, you guys remember Constantine? Baptism. Yes. So like he's like, get in the bathtub, right? Because she wants to see both worlds. And he's like, you can't go back. And she's like, all right, well, she's got to be born again. And she thinks he's going to like just baptize her or whatever. And she goes into the water. He and doesn't he let her come pushes up. her down, and when she wants to come up, he just keeps her there until she dies for a hot second. I love yeah. that movie. That movie's so good. So yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm just excited for the next one. But yeah, so that's the whole like he he brings her back, right? Like he he has a real death moment to you know bring her into a, another phase of uh, I don't know reality. Well, just to pull that that comic book thread just a tiny second in that same movie, right? So she's a novice, so she's got to get drowned, right? And that's where all the magic happens. But you notice he does it a couple of times himself, and he just dips his feet in water. Um, he doesn't yeah. have to hold, do the whole drowning thing. So he's a pro at it, so he could do the magic, you know, go to hell thing and stuff by just dipping his toes in some water. So, you know, once you get better at it, I guess you die a lot less as time goes on. Well, you breathe through your feet. That's what most people don't understand. Good God. <laughs> I hate feet. I hate I know what you're getting for. So I was gonna say there's like an OnlyFans subscription you're gonna get. <laughs> <laughs> Stairs in Gowron. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, let's bring this back to the purity of water uh, back to reality oh there goes gravity oh. back to so here we go um let's bring it back one one common thread through all this right is that we're talking about the emotional part of man or the emotional part of your soul and i like how we're, we're walking upwards through that because remember we said uh that earth is really the material world it's your um biological functions right it's it's starting at a a primitive animalistic nature, right? And so now when you go into the the world of water, <clears throat> now you are maturing out. You actually have feelings and emotions and care and empathy um, other than just procreation, food, right? And, and sleeping and that kind of thing. So we're now, we're kind of moving up a spiritual hierarchy, a spiritual ladder, as it were. So um, 
let's see what is how does that represent itself so again you'll see all the symbolism of what the emotions means specifically when you start with the tarot so let's go back to that um uh, in any of the systems that that you have uh tend to use the uh the cups as an emotional thing so it's really supposed to tell you something about either your emotional state uh, preparing you for emotional thing someone you know or some some emotional event that's about to happen or has happened right um, love love or flying off the handle right so um so w- although w- passion is more of a wand's attribute <clears throat> yeah this is it's interesting because what you're describing here is actually uh, mm, mm, these are male and feminine you know attributes that are associated with these cards right in and, general, and, the, right. and the cups in general is is supposed to be a receptacle which is symbolic of uh you know reproductive organs that a woman has right which is yeah. this is this is the whole the whole thing why there are those sort of uh creative elements Vesica uh, Pisces being a fish mhm mm-hmm. yeah and then and then also when you look at like the especially the court cards right you you think of like the emotional maturity that you go through right so page of cups is really new love new like new beginnings you know heart, literally wear your heart on the sleeve kind of thing and then all the way up to like the the king uh, of cups is very emotionally mature stable has their thoughts under control right that that's kind of the imagery and and uh, archetypes you want to think about when you're when you're going up through those so um, again, I like how they, they marry your emotional maturity uh, through uh, through that, that symbolism. Moving on, we talked about the four humors. Again, um, the reason it was identified with phlegm was because it was identified with water because both were cold and wet, which is disgusting. But that's why they decided to do that. I feel like there are a lot of other <clears throat> things that are perennially cold and wet yeah. as well. Yep, I agree. Someone just like a philosopher sneezed and was like, oh, like, water. Oh, wait, it's just like water. Okay. <laughs> and maybe it's they, not. They, so didn't have, they didn't have a lot of like beakers and graduated cylinders. And then or he died of the bubonic plague. Or yeah. They or just get togas. You just but wipe it on the just, toga. That's true. <sighs> Moving on. It's my why dress your, toga. Why is your toga green? In towel, we have. Um, Joe alluded to the uh, Taoist thought. Water was representative of intelligence and wisdom, flexibility, softness, and and pliancy. However, an overabundance of water um, was basically alluding to the emotional difficulty of being wishy-washy and having the inability to choose something and stick with it. Um, Being very fluid. Being fluid, right? And so... That, but also water can destroy, right? Water in abundance, water like in a large wave, a tsunami. In can, a diluvian sense? In a diluvian sense can actually be destructive. Inundation. Whoa. Oh, snap. Moving on to the next topic. Um, we have no, we, another category of a hierarchy of these kind of elements that since, seems to have correlations is the, the, the Jewish um, five levels of the soul. So we talked about nefesh, I think, in the the first episode as it relates to Earth. Um, but when we get into the um, the second level, the next level up, which is associated with water, which is uh, ruach, not John ruach, but ruach, right? Which is the uh, the Hebrew word for the wind or the spirit, the spirit of God. And now you first might think, well, why is a spirit or a wind associated with 
water. <clears throat> and it's interesting because this does relate to the breath of God and how he gave life to Adam and, yeah. and how, you know, human beings were, were now not, not machines. They were now living creatures at that point. <clears throat> but it, it primarily manifests itself through our love and motivation to serve God. So that's the Ruach part of your soul. So you are now beyond just, again, the, um, the limbic part or of your, your, your soul or just, you're just reptilian. You're trying to procreate. Now you're actually, you know, uh, from a Maslow hierarchy, hierarchy of needs perspective, you've, you've risen above your basic necessities and now you're like starting to admire things and you're starting to want to serve your creator. And so, um, emotional things like when you see a sunset and you're like, Oh, this is so beautiful. Thank you, God, for, for giving me this. Like that's, that's your Ruach like, uh, manifesting as well. That's super cool. I, mm -hmm. I was interested in what you were talking about when you started talking about the water and, and the air, uh, coming together. Mm -hmm. This, uh, reminded me of, of one of the Sumerian tales of, uh, essentially, uh, Adamo, uh, that the first uh, Babylon or Sumerian man, or whatever you want to call it, modern man. Um, but there's like this allegory, right? That the wind is uh, it comes into conjunction with water. Those two elements come together to uh, like propel action or to create movement. I can see uh, that. Um, and so it's just interesting, right? Like, like archetypally, we think about those things, um, what they mean as an allegorical sense for some literal thing. Um, you know, are they saying that uh, they are they, they're not telling this story. They're telling like how the, the brain manifests action, perhaps, you know, right, and then right. thinking about those archetypes, they start thinking about how that, um, how the element of water and like the different symbol symbologies that are, you know, the symbolisms and things that, that, that come about because of it. How is that like practically um, understood by today? Like what, do, what does a modern man gain by looking at something like that? you right. Like there's so many times we'll go out there and we will do an esoteric presentation, right? And there's always somebody who says, so what? And I think that's a valid question. Absolutely. Like, you know, like, well, I wonder, you know, what are, what are some of the practical notions? Well, I, I definitely will say that to the end because I think that I will use uh, the same kind of sure question of the day as what is, what is the element of water actually mean to you practically? But, but Joe's there. like ready to like explode over there, Joe. Yeah, no, I was going to explode when, when RJ started talking, um, an Always. inundation came over me. Yes. So when you were talking about the Sumerians and stuff like that, we don't have to go that far back in history to see that symbolism, just punch you in the face, uh, and, and catch you to realize that let's look at the very first lines of Genesis, right? So which basins you've heard it all the time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness rested upon the face of the deep. What the hell was the deep? The deep. It was deep. And wait, it gets better. And then the Spirit of God moved Ruach. upon the face of the waters, right? So you've got air and water in this formless void. 
Um, again, and we talked about it two weeks ago, the very first show, the four elements completely show up in the first uh, creation narrative in Genesis. Cause there's two, not one, two, but um, they're all right there in the first couple of paragraphs. So um, yeah, super powerful and it's there and it's there for a symbolic reason. Right. right? Exactly. That's what I love about this. Um, let's look at reading your text, like the exegesis as well. Um, using that part S system that we talked about last week as well. We've moved away from um, the Peshat, the literal reading of, of a text, and now we're moving up to the next stage of how you should you should read um, biblical texts, and that is um, Ramez. Like so, the R in Pardes is Ramez, and it means the hints or the the deep, Joe, um, allegoric, hidden, symbolic meanings behind the text. So this is beyond the literal part of the literal words on the page, what are the, the hidden or symbolic meanings behind that? Right. So that's what I like about, about this. When I got turned on to part S, we had um, Eric diamond on, you know, many years ago to talk about part S and how it applies. And then, you know, started applying that in, in my own like biblical studies. Uh, you you kind of, you need the literal text, right. But you need to go beyond the literal and start looking at like, what's this tr really trying to say? What is it saying allegorically? Um, as well. So <clears throat> now we're, we're, again, we're moving from a foundational material aspect to reading your, his, your inspired text in a more allegorical way. So that's something to think about. Um, then Zodiac signs, like we talked last week about the uh, earth signs. Uh, now let's talk about the, the water signs. And so the water signs <clears throat> are Let's see who we have here. We have Cancer, Scorpio, and Pisces. I'm a water sign. Yeah, you are, because uh, check this out, right? You have um, the water signs amplify emotions and awareness. Vulnerable and receptive, those born under its influence are highly sensitive. <laughs> and are often, and are often <laughs> swamped by their feelings. Right? What the hell? They are oh, intuitive, man. empathetic, and instinctively responsive to the emotional atmosphere. They also tend to have a spiritual bent. Hmm? Huh? So there you go. That's you, Joe. It's not all bad. It's not all bad, just mostly bad. Um, so, so in emphasis, they, uh, they are sensitive, impassioned, impressionable, compassionate, and insightful. I'm not sensitive. You're I not don't. sensitive at all. Screw you. You are. <laughs> I'm not sensitive. You are, you are, you, you definitely wear your heart on the sleeve. That's for sure. You got something in your eye. Joe. Joe? Not sensitive. <laughs> I'm Joe not, has I feelings swear. when, uh, when they benefit him. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so again, I, I love how depending on the, you know, all these different systems, when you start to see these correspondences, they all say the same thing, but in a different way, it's a different lens and you know, whatever system works for you to help to kind of internalize what that means. Like that's amazing. Like, I think that's, that's certainly worth, worth thinking about. Yeah. There's, there's more Pis Pisces in the room. Yeah. Uh, Pisces, brother Jason. <laughs> Woo. Um, doesn't that kind of just tie a bow on everything when you say that, where we, we talk about all these different cultures and all these different systems mm -hmm. of belief and systems of philosophy. And they're all really essentially saying the same thing using different language and different metaphor and different story. Um, and different examples or symbology, but it's, 
literally the same truths bubble up to the surface over right, and right. over and over again. Just modified ever so slightly to make it more appealing to its intended audience. Right. And again, it, it, look at a Christian context. Like, uh, so, so I'm a, I'm a Christian, and you look at like uh, people have tried to assign like the um, the gospel writers, the the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to the different classical elements. I don't have it at, at the ready. I'm sure someone, uh, one of you guys, can bring it up or or the check into it. Um, there's obviously a lot of um, interpretation there, and some people will disagree on what what they would stand for, but still stands that you could take most of these um, philosophical or religious frameworks and kind of marry them up in, in this similar, similar uh, way. So whether it be uh, Judaic, whether it be, um, you know, Christian Sufi, whatever it is, like there's, there's lots of different ways that you can organize these things and really basically say the same thing. Like Joe was saying, the the last thing I had prepared or sort of pseudo prepared was the um, back to the platonic solids. So the those are interesting because let me share my screen. This one over here and go wait for it. Boom! <clears throat> the platonic solids. Um, we talked about Earth being the cube, being foundational, grounded, square, like rigid, right? But now water. It's interesting. Water kind of comes. It's it's multifaceted compared to fire air and earth before it right because it's it's not but they're all just friends they, they just hang out which is great they're just friends because they're they keep it platonic uh, 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 i see what you did there so um you have the four-sided fire the eight-sided air the six-sided earth and the 20-sided isosahedron water um so I, I was really trying to wonder why why did they go go nuts with water and if you look at it from the platonic description again this is something that i haven't really del delved into much but like it's blunt it's dense and mobile mobile therefore it's it's equated with the isosahedron and they they basically say that if you look at the fire particles which are tetrahedral due to being light and simple. The opposite is true for water particles, which are isohedral and heavy and complex. After all, it is something um, able to easily squash and extinguish a, f a flame. You could take this complicated water, boom, smack it on fire and the fire's out, right? Water, it's like if you're playing rock, paper, scissors, like water can trump fire very easy, right? It's very hard for fire to, you need a lot of fire to turn water into air, right, Joe? Right. Fire! Fire! So that's that's the reason why it is the platonic solid that it is. Something interesting to think about. And Scott says, are these ideas that are universal across cultures a sort of an inverted reflection of what our psyches need for bringing about structure in an otherwise chaotic world? What say you, Jason? Yes! <laughs> Five points for Gryffindor. This is... This is kind of one of my fundamental theories of like Jungian arch archetypes and world religions is that we have all ingrained in us, be it the divine spark or, or something endemic to humanity that 
causes us to gravitate towards certain foundational constructs to explain the world around us, which is why you have the same ideas happening with no knowledge uh, or no foreknowledge of, of those ideas throughout time, throughout space, throughout history. Yes. Well, there you go. The last thing indeed, I want to do is indeed, indeed, indeed. bring this back to Freemasonry. <laughs> um, I said there's four levels of Freemasonry uh, last week. So we started with the earth, the grounding, the profane world, and now we're moving up to the emotional EA, the entered apprentice world, because you are certainly emotional when you get your, uh, your initiation, you're, you're like young, you're full of vinegar, right? You're trying to uh, learn everything there is about uh, masonry, but you are, you need to temper your, your zeal, uh, because you well, might be burning yourself out. You, you have a lot of interest. You're, you're just trying to soak everything in Joe. Oh, you said burnout. So I raised my hand. Um, <laughs> no, uh, Someone call my name. Yeah, oh, wait. Hi. yeah another thing. <laughs> hi, uh, I'm a Pisces. No. <laughs> I'm a Pisces. Um, I'm so tired. Anyway. Um, when I think of the EA and what I think of purification, right? The destitution, the washing mm -hmm. away of your, your, your external world, all the garbage that you keep, you know, held up inside. And we ask you to leave it in that room, in that tiny little room with the smelly pajamas, leave it all outside. Just be the, the barest, most pure form of you that you can be and start fresh. Exactly. That's a beautiful, uh, allegory to go with uh, the entered apprentice degree and how it relates to, to water, right? And there might be some rough sands of a sea that we should be concerned about as well. Maybe. Gets in your shoes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, now pulling this all together, we're going to do the final question of the day, which is, was alluded to earlier. And that is the same question as before replaced by the element of water, which is, how are you applying or what does the element of water mean to you personally? And we'll start with Jason Richards. So for me, the element of water is present very much in my spiritual life. Um, focus on self-improvement, self-sanctification. Um, so... The idea, the you know, as as Masons, we inculcate that we we try to take our ourselves and become better, and so um, to me, exposing myself to things that make me uncomfortable um, is a like Joe. Um, <laughs> someone, someone's gonna, someone's gonna. I knew that was coming. Someone, someone's gonna be like, "Wow, Jason exposes himself to Joe." Like, no. Um, <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> Good night. Yeah, I mean, we already got demonetized for this episode anyway. Like, that was that was a full like forty-five minutes ago. Yeah. Um, no, so for me, like, I didn't really start growing leaps and bounds spiritually until I made myself very uncomfortable 
um, by learning and exposing myself to different worldviews, um, spiritual disciplines, what, what have you, that were outside of the norm. And I think a lot of what happens, especially in the water stage of alchemy, is um, you get flooded with information so that you can then start to, you know, separate out the the stuff that's bad and then through conjunction add in the stuff that's good all the way through Joe's favorite word of the evening, coagulation, um, where you you then present yourself as this this new being. And so for me, water, yes, yes, deeply emotional, but um, the focus on it being a critical stage for divestment of vices is is huge for me. Nice. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. Let's head over to, to Joe to see if he can top that one. Nope. Um, right. I like water because it's wet. Boom, the end. Um, no. Uh, I like water. Fail. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You disappoint uh, no, me. I, I'm uh, wait. I got some, I got something in my pocket. So, for me, water is all about the purification aspect, right? And and it's not always a happy or peaceful moment, right? With the cleansing of your vices and your preconceptions and how you think about the world. Um, sometimes that's a painful process like Jason was talking about. Right. And so the, the diluvian aspects, all those adjectives we throw, we've thrown out today, you know, the destructive aspects of water can, can be cleansing. It's not peaceful and it sure as hell isn't cathartic, but it will change you, you know, whether you want it to or not. So I think in the long run, it's water is there to purify us to cleanse us, to remind us that no matter how much bad stuff we have in our hands, um, there is an ample amount of water that will wash that away. And, you know, keeping that as a reminder to us can ground us, can center us and can help us navigate that pathway slowly, but surely. And knowing that there's always times to, to restart or refresh or, you know, take a step back, wash off the gunk or the phlegm, Whatever the hell John was talking about, and yeah, and start over. So, yeah, I, I appreciate those times to purify myself when I especially need to, and um, yeah, I look forward to to new new opportunities to do that. Boom! Some water's wet. Water's, water's wet. wet. Soda stream. Woo! <laughs> awesome. And wrapping things Hashtag up. Hashtag not a sponsor. Not a sponsor. Not a sponsor. It could have been. So to me, uh, when I think about everything we just talked about and, and the context of what is the emotional and intuitive part of water mean to me, practically, right, I think about it from the context of like, how do I hold per and present my emotions to the world? And so there's like this balance, right? There's these, these two extremes of being cold and stoic and, and emotionless. And then there's also just like <clears throat> being full of passion, being very irate, being very 
you know, teary and everything. And, and so you want to, at times, know where you are on the, on that, that system, on that, that meter, because sometimes, you know, you need to, if, if someone makes you angry, you have to like push that down to the, you know, like, Hey, let's, let's not fly off the handle here. We have to, to keep, keep, you know, your passions within due bounds and, and, and really, uh, slow your roll. Or there's times where you do need to disconnect. Um, you need to, um, get out of your head and actually get into your heart and start to like observe and appreciate all the love that you have and all the things that you've been given, all your blessings, right. Um, appreciate nature and that, you know, cry, cry at a good movie. Like those are things that are, that are okay. <clears throat> and so it, it's understanding you have these feelings for a reason and, and being able to control them and know when to, when to use them. And so that's, that's how I, I internalize uh, this the symbol of water and, and emotional uh, emotional intelligence, I guess, would be a, a, a good summary in in modern terms, is to apply, you know, how you not only handle your emotions but also how you present them to the world as well. So that's something that uh, that we should all all do as good men and masons, and um, and continue to carry that forward. So that's all i got this is a great episode i think we're going to do air next week that'll be fun so stay tuned for that and as always want to thank you all very much for watching keep searching for more life have a good night bye wow